Global TV released a new trailer. Aaron Ashmore talks about Makad Brooks. And we discuss Supergirl, Death and the Family. This, this is, is Supergirl, Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're going to dissect the trade paperback Supergirl Death in the Family. But first up, we have... The News. Canada's Global TV released their own two-minute trailer for Supergirl. The more notable differences in this one versus the one CBS released are that Kara was sent to protect Kal-El. It mentions that the pod Kara is in gets knocked into the Phantom Zone where, quote, time doesn't pass. And I have a lot of questions about yeah. that immediately. <laughs> so weird. So uh, there's that. Uh, and we'll talk about all this stuff in a second. Uh, uh, just to continue the list of a few things that were different in this one, there's a bit with Cat Grant who tells Kara, quote, it's not that I don't see your frown, it's just that I don't care enough to ask why it's there, unquote. Huh. Uh, Hank Henshaw is seen and heard saying, Agent Danvers and her sister from another planet. Someone maybe Vartox, I guess, is heard saying, just because you wear that symbol on your chest doesn't mean you're him. So there's some trash talking going on there. And uh, the last uh, noticeable difference that I saw was that Supergirl, um, right before she collides with the truck, she's like, I got him. And I I love that moment. So there's some good stuff in this new trailer that we didn't see uh, from the one that CBS put out. But I was wondering what you thought of it, Teresa. First of all, it had a weird, it was a different feel than the, the CBS one. It actually felt more like a movie trailer to me in that it was... It just felt like it was trying to be bigger than a TV show. And I don't know that that served it. Like, it it was cut the way, like, you'd cut an action movie <laughs> trailer. And it was like, rah! Like, it was, it was just very, a, diff- a completely different feel from the footage that CBS released. And I was like, I don't know if that's showing the show in its best light. Although it did kind of get me thinking about, you know, this version of Supergirl in the uh, cinematic universe for DC. And I was like, huh. Maybe, but um, if you're advertising the TV sh- TV show, it should feel like a TV trailer. Yeah, I I liked some of the new bits we got, but I didn't think it was as good as the one that CBS put out because I I am an editor, so when I see stuff like this, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like um, there's there's a thing at the beginning where it actually kind of goes into more of Kara's voiceover and talks about the Phantom Zone and all that, which I have a lot of questions about the way they're using the Phantom Zone yeah. in, this, uh, in this story because 
I don't understand how Kara gets out of the Phantom Zone. Maybe they'll explain that in the pilot, but like it's a prison <laughs> and yeah. in every incarnation I've seen. Like in Supergirl the movie, we talked about how Kara uh, has to climb out of it. In Superman 2, the, the Phantom Zone, like, they get out of it because it's been shattered. And in Man of Steel, the Phantom Zone loses its power when Krypton explodes. So there's always some like catalyst that has that, you know has to happen. Even in Smallville that we talked about recently where like they had to have a portal to get out of the Phantom Zone. So there has to be something that kind of triggers someone to get out of it because the whole point of the Phantom Zone is to keep people inside it. <laughs> yeah. So I immediately have questions about that, but I I, th- I thought that the, it was kind of lazy at the beginning of the trailer. Is it, and from an editor's point of view, like CBS had it cut really well to where it you know went to the next thing to the next thing. This one just... Like, for, like, 20, 30 seconds, it seemed like they just kind of left what was that in the episode in there. And yeah. I, I thought that they just kind of reused some of the stuff from the CBS trailer, but just kind of took out the music. I guess they they saw, like, all of the Black Widow movie spoof stuff <laughs> going around the Internet, so they, t- they took the kind of uh, romantic comedy music out of it and replaced it with something else. And I just yeah. felt like a lot of this trailer was reused, and I guess that's kind of par for the course because it's not their stuff you know global tv or global entertainment or whatever is just kind of using what cbs has already set up but yeah right. i was not as impressed with this trailer as i was for the one yeah with, uh, well CBS. it's interesting that, it's interesting that you say the um you know the thing about the black widow like romantic comedy criticism and all that because like i said it did feel like an action movie and it's like it was trying to convince people that this show is the opposite, basically, of what CBS is trying to market it as, you know? Right, yeah, that's a good way <laughs> and, of putting it. And it's like, you know, why do that? Like, there's plenty of, of dark, action-y, you know, whatever stuff out there. The thing that makes Supergirl special is that it's, it's not that. And, you know, I feel like this is just trying to c- convince people of something for no good reason. Like, let there be a different show that's not like every other superhero show that's out there, you know? I've just noticed with, like, the... Not to, you know, rag on my Canadian people. I love Canadians. I love Canada. We love Canadians. I have crushes on so many Canadians. I love Canada. (laughs) But I've just noticed with some of their promotional stuff, like even with Arrow or... Um, like back in the day when I used to watch Once Upon a Time, like some of their stuff wasn't as tight. And and that's, again, me being a critical editor who does this, you know, every day of my life. I'm like, eh, you could maybe make that a little tighter. You know, you could you could uh, go to another shot here. You're, you're sitting on this too long. Like my critical mind is like picking apart everything they do. But um, but I appreciated that we got some new things that weren't included before. Yeah, no, definitely. All those new tidbits were fun. Um, But going back to the Phantom Zone thing for a second, because, uh, yes, I also had the question about, you know, it's a prison. How does she even get out of there? But my question was more about the time passing, um, because, you know, in in other versions of Supergirl, you know, she's somehow trapped in time. And that's why she looks young. Now she looks like she's 24. So like time pass, like. It says, you know, the Phantom Zone where time doesn't pass and yet it looks like time has passed for her. So is it like she remains nine years old or however old she is in the Phantom Zone and the second she gets out, she looks like Melissa Benoist? Like, what does that mean? Well, and I, what is- I think what we see is that she in the Phantom Zone, and, and this is me trying to wrap my brain around it, is in, in the <laughs> Phantom Zone, I think she is still the little girl that we see leave Krypton. Right. And then at some point, something must happen to 
get her out of the Phantom Zone, and she crashes on Earth. And when she crashes on Earth, we see her, uh, we saw in the, the previous trailer that, that her ship is, like, in some field somewhere or whatever, and she's still that little girl. And I think Superman somehow finds her as the little girl and takes her to the Danvers. And so I think what we're not seeing is that time passage where she grows up and becomes Melissa Benoist. Uh, okay, so it's like, so she's in the Phantom Zone for 24 years. She still looks like the little girl. And then 24 years later, she goes to Earth still looking like the little girl. And then from that point on, ages on Earth. I think so. I so think really, that's... Supergirl is in her like 40s. <laughs> I guess so. Time, <laughs> she, time she and age like the... is irrelevant. <laughs> she looks like Melissa Benoist, but she's like 45, um, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. I wish that were my life. Yes. <laughs> Moving on with the news, uh, KryptonSite.com interviewed actor Aaron Ashmore, who played Jimmy Olsen on Smallville. Uh, and they asked him about his thoughts about CBS's Supergirl and Makad Brooks. Uh, Aaron said, quote, when I heard about the Supergirl show, I thought that maybe Jimmy Olsen was going to be a female character and maybe they were going to be like best friends and that they go in that direction. Uh, I think the casting is really, really interesting to change him up in that. And I think uh, Makad is a great actor, so I think he's going to do a great job, end quote. Um, and he also added, quote, that character, it's all in the writing and it's all there. So I wish him the best of luck. So that's great. And, uh, and it's interesting that he, he went to... Like, he figured that they'd be doing something with Jimmy Olsen to make him different than yeah. the, you know, redheaded uh, young kid from the comics. But it's interesting that they, that, she, that his first thought was, it's going to be female. Or, she, you know, that Jimmy Olsen is going to be female. Yeah, I wonder if he took some assumptions from Man of Steel and put that towards the Supergirl show. Because there's a character in Man of Steel named Jenny. And Jenny works at the Daily Planet with Steve Lombard and Lois Lane. And so a lot of people assumed she was Jenny Olsen instead of Jimmy Olsen. Of course, mm. that's not true. Even though my Man of Steel official movie guide, I think, says Jenny Olsen, that's not the official name of the character. And that was proven on her like Daily Planet pass, her ID badge. So I, I wonder if he just kind of assumed... That, of course, I'm just making assumptions about what he thought, but my brain, when I read him thinking Jimmy Olsen is going to be a female character, I wonder if that's associated with the Jenny character from Man of Steel. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And uh, I have yet to watch this dang movie. I need to set aside some time to watch freaking Man of Steel. Uh, I think I will. Um, especially after that awesome prequel comic, so I definitely will. Yeah, and I think Aaron makes a really good, uh, good point about how the character of Jimmy Olsen is just all in the writing because he is kind of a doofy kind of goofy guy. And so I think if you can keep that essence of who he is in there, I, th I think it's, it's, it's a good version of the character. So, yeah. so even though it's cool that Makad is like this, you know, gr you know James Grumman Olsen, who's, <laughs> who's a little more suave, I, I do think it would be kind of fun to see more of that kind of goofiness in his character. Oh, totally. And well, and the thing is, too. Yeah, I agree. It's all in the writing. And it's like Jimmy Olsen's an important character. Like he is the confidant or one of the close confidants of a superhero. And you need that. You need that like human connection to the protagonist. So whether it's Superman or Supergirl, both of those superpowered people need a human being to kind of, you know, to talk to, to relate to, to, 
to ha- give them insight into the human condition. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Makad Brooks does with that. Totally. Well, it turns out that CBS has started promoting Supergirl on their network. And I know I know because I I will confess to being a young and the restless fan. It's a multi-generational <laughs> thing. Started watching it with my grandmother. My mom watches it, so it's a whole thing in my That's family. Awesome. So no judgments. I but used to watch all my children and General Hospital, so I get it. I, I I used to watch all my children. I watched the little Days of Our Lives. I watch a little bit of General Hospital now, so I love my soaps. But when I was watching The Young and the Restless recently, which is also on CBS, uh, I was watching it on the June 9th episode. And I just, I was kind of skimming through the commercials to get to the next thing. And I saw Melissa Benoist's face pop up. And I was like, whoa, 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 back up. Go back to that, whatever, whatever this is. And um, so I watched it. And it's a, it was a really short commercial. I don't, I don't remember if it was a 15-second or like a 30-second. But it was really short. And it was basically just... Kara and Wen up on top of the roof where she does that, you know, cool flip back onto the roof when she proves that she can fly. And that's yeah. basically all it was. But at the very end, there was this awesome graphic that popped up that showed, you know, CBS and Supergirl in there. And it was Melissa Benoist in her Supergirl suit. And I was just like wowed at that image because her cape was flying in the wind and she looked so strong and you, you couldn't see her eyes or anything. It was just kind of that image of Supergirl with this like superhero pose. And I was yeah. just like, that's good stuff. Totally. No, it looks really, really iconic. You know, like that's a great shot of her. But I, I just thought that was really interesting because it's, we're now, what is it, June? So uh, it's still four months away from uh, a premiere date. So they're, they're at least, I guess, testing the waters with some of their marketing purposes and um, dropping some commercials. So, if you watch CBS for anything else, keep your eyes out because they, they may throw some things in there intermittently because The Young, The Restless is, uh, has been like the number one soap opera for like ever. <laughs> and so um, that sort of makes sense to me that they would uh, throw a spot in during that hour because not only is it a number one rated show, it's, uh, you know, a female audience. I mean, I'm, I'm the target audience that I'm, I'm going to be watching that. So, uh, I think it's interesting where they're going to place these spots and, and when, so, uh, just keep your eyes peeled. But in the meantime, uh, we've got our, uh, discussion of the trade paperback called Supergirl Death and the Family. So hopefully, uh, some of you are familiar with that. If not, you all should give it a, a read. Um, and this is yet another uh, chapter in the new Krypton collection uh, from Sterling Gates, uh, whom we did an interview with recently and who is an awesome dude and a great writer. Um, the description from DCComics.com says, quote, The Silver Banshee returns in this new title collecting Supergirl 48 through 50 and Supergirl Annual number one. And this time she's after an artifact that could break her family's curse. Meanwhile, Lana Lang's mysterious condition gets worse. Can Supergirl save her? And this is actually a really intense story um, and a really fast-paced story. Um, but, Rebecca, let's just start delving into, uh, into Kara herself. Um, what did you think about Supergirl in this particular story arc? I really felt so bad for her throughout this whole story because it starts off where she's like – 
getting berated by this Kryptonian mom who's been outed in this like hostage situation that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I hated that for her because Karv is basically just wanting to try to save lives. Like she hears that this hostage situation has happened at this bank. And so she goes and, and what's kind of cool is she goes undercover. She knows she can't get out there as a Kryptonian with an S on her chest uh, because Kryptonians are kind of everybody knows about them now, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and in they're the kind story. of like banned from Earth, right? Yeah, like they're, yeah, yeah. So they're kind of the outlaws nowadays, and so she goes undercover, and which is really fun for me. I, I like seeing her. I think this is like the second time we've read something like that where she's kind of going undercover in a different disguise. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that was really fun. But when she gets there there's this whole situation where they're trying to figure out who among them is Kryptonian. And so there's like this whole um, human testing, I think is what they, human screening is what they call it to figure out who is the Kryptonian. And what I thought was really brilliant about what Sterling did is in the writing was that for a little while, I thought this red Kryptonite test was going to out Kara. And it turns out that it's this, woman and her son who are kryptonians Mm -hmm. and it kind of goes awry the little boy turns into a monster basically um and and Kara does you know supergirl does save him which is great she flies him up into the sun and he kind of turns back into a normal little kryptonian boy but i just hate it because right after you know right at the beginning of the story she's having a bad day like (laughs) she is trying to do the right thing and trying to do some good and the the mom basically tells her, you know, I think Zorel would be ashamed of you, and so that I think set set the standard for what would come for Supergirl in this story because she has so many troubles with like Lana's life, where she, you know Lana um, basically collapses in her own pool of blood and she goes to the mm-hmm. hospital, and there's this whole thing which I know we'll talk about with the insect queen. But just, like, she has so many things that she has to deal with one after the other. I just felt so bad for Supergirl. Yeah, no, it's it's a really, she is having the worst day ever. Um, And and it's a really hostile environment, like, for Kryptonians. And it's a testament to her. Like, she actually still wants to save lives, despite the fact that most people on Earth— hate everything she's about and like hate her race and don't want any anything to do with her. So I think it's it's actually really cool that Supergirl can you know it's clear that she wants to help people not for the praise or the accolades or the 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 fame or anything like that cuz everybody hates her and she's doing it anyway. Right. Um so I kind of do love that about her. Um it's interesting to read this too in light of what what did happen with the uh, the little boy that she tried to save uh, from cancer because she she at the end of that story she kind of comes to a place where she learns that sometimes you have to let things go and sometimes you have to you know that that death happens and and no matter how much of a superhero you are you can't save everybody from everything but that was before it was somebody that she knew. You know? Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> like it was easier for her to learn that lesson uh, with someone that, you know, a stranger she tried to save. And now it's her best friend. So it's like she has to learn the lesson all over again, even though it's something that she already learned. And I think it's interesting that Lana brings that up with her. She actually references yes. the little boy mm-hmm. with cancer who died. And what, one of my favorite bits in the book is the the scene where... 
Kara goes to the hospital and she's like, she's, she's describing all the things that she's hearing in the hospital and all, you know, all the problems that are going on. And it really brought me into her situation and made, you know, made me experience what she was experiencing because with all of those powers and all of those things that she can do, there are some things that she's going to be helpless with. And, and as much as she wanted to save Lana and as much as she tried to figure out what was going on with her, like she even x-rays her at one point, you know, there's, there was something that she couldn't do. I'd love to get into a little bit her um, relationship. Cause the first thing we see, I mean, obviously she's dealing with Lana and her illness and we'll get to that, but the first part of the story before that we get too deep into that is the silver banshee. Um, and I thought it was really interesting how she handles that. Um, what did you, um, uh, think about that part of the story and how she handles the silver banshee? Well, my first thought was, Oh, this is the silver banshee origin. (laughs) Like (laughs) I, I had like seen, uh, I think Silver Banshee's in one of the animated movies that I've seen before. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had, and I, she's probably been in some, um, you know, Superman stuff that I've read. But I, I didn't really know why she is the Banshee and what her situation is. So for the first time, I was like, oh, so this is her deal. And I love the way it's laid out in the book where, you know, the the panels are kind of, you know, it's half of, you know, Kara's face and they're explaining all the little steps of her story. And that I think it did a really good job for me to, uh, to teach me what her name is. Like I didn't know her real name was uh, Siobhan McDougal, that she's part of this McDougal clan and that she was actually cursed with her own spell, but it can be undone if she collects all seven of the clan, the clan's heirlooms, which sort of reminded me of <laughs> Harry Potter Horcruxes, a yeah. little bit, mm-hmm. um, of course. That's exactly where my brain went. <laughs> of course, this is before Harry Potter and the Obviously. Deathly Hallows. But uh, but in my Harry Potter brain, I was like, oh, so it's like that. I get it. Um, which And it made me feel bad for the Silver Banshee because I was like, well, she didn't ask for this. And if she just collects all these things, it will free her of this curse. And everybody should help her figure these things out. Um, right. <laughs> but... I really liked the Silver Banshee part of the story. And I I did think Supergirl did a good job dealing with her because it never felt like she was uh, blaming the Silver Banshee. And she was more going after that McDougal clan and the spirits that kind of had overtaken her body. And she was able to break free from them. So I thought that was a very strong moment for her. I I do wonder, like, um, because... You know, I had the same thought. Like, why don't they just help her find these things? Like, (laughs) so many problems in comics and on TV would be solved if people just, like, had a chat. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I was kind of like, oh, I wish that there was more of an effort on that front. Um, But I do agree with you that, that, you know, I, I like that she... She saw Silver Banshee as somebody with a problem rather than as a villain, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So that was really cool. It's a it's a cool part of uh, Kara's character that, uh, especially in this incarnation, like when when Sterling Gates writes her, she doesn't feel as hostile, you know, as as some of her other incarnations. Like even when she's getting angry or or she's getting you know snarky or whatever, she's not. Uh, it's not coming from from an angry, mean spirited place. Whereas in 
some other versions of her, it, it just seems like she's so bitter about her own situation that she's, like, taking it out on other people sometimes. Oh, yeah. But here, it's just like, listen, I get it. You're going through a lot of stuff, but... But she knows where to channel that anger and that hostility. Right. She knows the real people who are to blame. Yes, exactly. And one of my favorite parts of the the banshee aspect of this book uh was the use of like the the balloons the dialogue balloons because at one point silver banshee uh like attacks supergirl to where supergirl can't hear anything and i love that the the balloons were empty like i could sense like oh this is a point where like nothing is happening like she can't hear anything there's nothing going on and i could i could imagine what that was like maybe it was like a muffled sound that just drowned out all the words that possibly might have happened and so i really liked that from an art standpoint and from a writing standpoint even just to take that extra step to show what would happen when you're attacked by the silver banshee i thought that was really cool now i do want to get into uh the stuff with lana and i think it's interesting that we see I like that that we're looking at her relationship with Lana Lang at the same time that we're kind of examining Lucy Lane as Superwoman um, and kind of these two female figures who are tied to like the super family mm-hmm. um, and how different they are. <laughs> this is totally not having to do with uh, Lana Lang, but I'm just I just flipped open to the page uh, when Lucy Lane wakes up uh, in the military hospital and sees that her father's still alive. And then she's like, you know, hugging him. She's thrilled, you know, to see him. Um, And this is right before she, you know, he gives her the suit that will turn her into Superwoman. Um, But just the way she's bent over, I'm like, nobody hugs anybody like that. (laughs) (laughs) And this is like the one kind of, oh my God, slap my forehead moment in an otherwise like almost flawless collection in a trade. And then I was like, oh my God, why does she have to be bent over like that? So (laughs) I am going to have to, uh, let's see, where's, yeah, it is. It's uh, Fernando Dagnino, Dagnino, Dagnino. I don't know if that's Italian or what, but in any case, I have to call that artist out because I'm like, um... Do we need, like, the cheesecake butt shot, like, while she's hugging her (laughs) father that she thought was dead? Um, But anyway, moving on. I think it's really interesting, though, that you brought up how Lucy and Lana are similar. Because I hadn't really thought about that until you mentioned it. But they are. They both, quote, die. And then they both get resurrected, if you will. And I, I think that's really interesting because with Lucy, she's... A villain. I mean, I consider her to be a villain. She's killing people, sometimes unintentionally. I think one time in the book, she uses her heat vision. It looks like on accident and, like, kills somebody. But there are also parts where she wants to do harm to people. And she yeah. wants to go after the Kryptonians. And so I do think there is a villainous streak in her. Yeah. Um, but with Lana, even though she sort of becomes, like, this insect queen, she is not really the villain. She's just been kind of over, her body's been overtaken uh, by this villain. And so when she gets out of it, she's back to her normal self. Um, So I do think that there are some similarities and some differences in those characters. So that's a cool point you brought up. Yeah, thank you. And I thought it was really smart that they did that in this collection. And it kind of got me thinking about, um, you know, single issues versus trades. Because the Superwoman story is a single issue, and then, like, a couple of issues go by before you really get into the Lana Lang 
stuff. Um, and it's all kind of separated, you know, and so like, you know, a month or two goes by between issues. And so I don't know if that connection would have been as obvious in the single issues as mm. when you're reading them all together and you could kind of see it as a story arc. But I thought it was really smart that it was written that way. Kind of, it looks, it seems like it was written to be a trade, which is really interesting because like thematically, all of these stories kind of tie together really nicely. You've got all of these female characters, even with uh, Silver Banshee, who are either taken over or otherwise compromised by forces outside of their control and how they react to them um, and how that relates to Supergirl. Like, you know, the Silver Banshee, you know, it was her own mistake. Um, I mean, she was kind of cursed by her own, her own spell. With Lucy, you know, she's trying to please her dad. So she chooses to do, you know, to wear the suit and to do all this stuff to earn her father's approval. Um, so, I, I mean, you say she was more of a villain and I kind of, I mean, yes, she is because she chooses to do all of these things. But it's also, I like how she's written so that uh, she's, she's understandable. Sympathetic, yeah. Yeah, like you, you get it because she's trying to compete with Lois and she's trying to to be daddy's girl and to kind of, you know, live according to his values. And so everything she's doing is for that. I do think that you see a lot of that because what I like about the Superwoman aspect of the story is that you do get a lot of these Lucy Lane flashbacks. And I love that because I love seeing more of the Lane family. So you do, like, like you mentioned, there is this competition that she has with Lois, even though you never see it from Lois's point of view. Like Lois right. isn't trying; she's not trying to rub it in. It's just right. that's who Lois Lane is. She's she gets straight A's. She wins writing contests. She is valedictorian. That's just that's just who Lois Lane is. Exactly. So if Lucy can't cut it, that's her problem. Right. Um, but I I did think that was interesting that they really went into okay. This is why Lucy has these daddy issues. That she has these. Um, insecurities of being a favorite of her father's. And that's why she goes into the military. That's why she enlists and, and tries to do what she does. And what I think is interesting to me is that at some point, Sam Lane accepts her, like sees her more of his favorite than Lois. Cause Lois kind of grew up and she was, um, you know, the, the one that Sam called soldier and all that kind of stuff. But Lois kind of went her own way. She's the one yeah. who married Clark and went into the writing thing and didn't want to have anything to do with the military. But when Lucy kind of proved herself, he says to her, even when you were growing up, I knew you'd be like me. Your sister can never wear that uniform, not yeah. like you do. And it makes mm-hmm. me proud seeing you in it. Yeah. So at some point, I think she did become his favorite and become that daughter that he always wanted. Yeah. And actually that, I mean, I'm sure, you know, growing up with that dad, he, I mean, if he says that he knew that all along, that means he was probably nurturing that too. And so, so, so like thinking about all these characters that have like, you know, all this stuff happened to them, they're always kind of acted on by family, really, which is I guess that's why this is called Death and the Family. I mean, <laughs> call me crazy. Yeah, um, But, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Kara's relationship with Lana specifically. Because um, I like a lot of the – I like the nuances in their relationship. But uh, what do you think of that, that bond and that relationship? I like that Supergirl um, or Kara considers Lana family. 
And I like that even Lana, like I, I, the dialogue callback uh, I thought was really nice in this where at the beginning Lana says, you know, she says about herself, she says, I'm a Lang and fighting's what we do. And then at the end of the story that kind of comes back where Supergirl says that Lana is family and fighting is what we Langs do. So yeah. Kara has kind of assumed that she is part of Lana's family and they've they've become a little bit of a family unit, just the two of them. And so I really liked that. But what broke my heart at the end of the story is that Kara is so crushed by the fact that Lana didn't tell her what was going on with her, even though Lana, I feel like, had a good reason to do that. Because, yeah. because Lana understands what's going on with these super people. She understands that sometimes the world is more important than her. Like, she understands that the superheroes need to go and deal with the world and not deal with her. And I thought that was very mature of Lana. And um, she even tells Supergirl that, you know, that's the price of that S-Shield. That's, yeah. that's, that's what goes on in these relationships. And so I think Lana was mature, but Kara, I think she was so crushed by the, the truth that was omitted. I don't want to even call it a lie. Just the truth was omitted. <laughs> like Lana didn't really know what was going on with her. So there's no r- real reason for her not to tell Kara because she didn't know. But, right. but Kara like kind of brushed her off at the end and, and it felt like their bond had been rift. And that was really sad yeah. to me. Yeah, no. And I, you know, like I've, I've certainly dealt with enough, you know, people in my life with various illnesses and whatnot to know that like, that's their thing to tell. Like, yeah. you know, it, while of course, like the people that care about them, like want to know, um, the fact is Lana was well within her rights to not tell her. It has nothing to do with like their friendship or not trusting her. It's like, look, this is my business. And until I know what's going on, I'm not going to tell you. And I like that she called her on that. Uh, I like that Lana, you know, uh, Yes, she does understand what these superpowered people go through and she, you know, didn't want to kind of burden Supergirl with that information. Uh, but also I think there's a little bit of look like, you know, yes, we're we're close. We're like family, but that doesn't mean I have to tell you everything yeah. and you don't and you don't get to be mad at me. Like, um, So I kind of I, I wish that that would have ended a little better, too, between uh, between them, because. And, you know, and, and, you know, no, no character is perfect and Kara is not perfect. And I think this is one of her, her, uh, flaws is that she, I don't want to say she cares about people too much, but, you know, because she cares about people so much, she, she also has this idea that like, how do I put this? Like she wants them to recognize how much she cares about them. And it's like she there are cert- sometimes like when she interacts with with certain characters that she she kind of expects she has she a wants- higher standard maybe of of well, what people should be or has um, higher mean, expectations maybe well more that she like wants them to have a relationship with her on her terms oh, like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 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 you know, I want you to, to appreciate me the way I want you to appreciate me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want you to show, show me your love and your trust the way I would show it to you or the way that I expect to see it from people. And what she needs to understand is that people are different. You know, like just because Lana doesn't tell you these things doesn't mean she doesn't care about you or trust you. It just, that's Lana and, and it's her business <laughs> and just be, basically just because she doesn't tell you what she what you want her to tell you doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends anymore 
is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think <laughs> she took it really personally, um, the the way Lana reacted in that situation because of what had been going on with her mother. So I, I think maybe she had been seeking a mother figure because mm-hmm. Alora, let's be honest, is <laughs> not, not great. Not the most loving mother in the world. And so I think with Lana, she kind of found another maternal figure. And when that was disappointing to her, it really hurt. She took that personally. And it was disappointing to see that, you know, at at the end of the book, she says, you know, I don't want to be human anymore. So Supergirl has taken it to such a level that it's really, you know, humans have disappointed her. So I think that's a really sad thing, but maybe that's something that she's got to go go through just in her own personal situation um, to come out the other end. But yeah, that, it, it was it was sad to see what had happened to them at the end, especially because Lana was okay. They saved Lana. She was yeah. not, you know, she this was not. Should be a happy ending. Yeah, right? she was not a, the part of this insect queen anymore, and her illness that had been plaguing her for a year was gone. There yeah. was no more of that, and it should have. Like you're, like you, you're exactly right. It should have been a happy ending, but for some reason they couldn't relish in in the the success of rescuing her and her not being dead. Yeah. Instead, it was you lied to me, and so I, that was disappointing. Yeah, but it's interesting. You 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 bring up a great point about what had just happened with her mom, and it's true. Like she, she's looking for something, and she's. Uh, I feel like throughout all the stories we've been reading, she's like looking for. Uh, that family connection and and looking for a place to belong and and yeah she thought she had found that here and it proved disappointing to her but again I feel like that has uh, something to do with expecting it to be a certain way um, what I liked about the last trade that we read uh, where we see that Kara joins the science guild to kind of figure her mom out I really liked that step in her character because. It was it was a time when she was showing like, oh, maybe instead of expecting my mom to treat me a certain way because that's what I want, maybe I should try to figure her out. Hmm. And and maybe I should take that step and be more of what she needs rather than expecting her to be what I need. Right. Um, so I I kind of, you know, and I don't know where her relationship with Lana goes after this. I mean, obviously we're going to read Bizarro Girl soon. <laughs> um, but... I kind of hope that she comes to that same realization with Lana and can, you know, maybe they can work their way back to each other. That's a really awesome point that maybe at some point Kara is going to see things from Lana's point of view and maybe that will help bridge that gap between them. I like that thought. Yeah, no, I hope. Let's let's think happy thoughts for them. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, Lana's not a character that I always really like. I mean, she's just kind of that character I put up with, but I've been, <laughs> but I've been liking her in these stories. Yeah, no, she's great in these, and yeah, I, I, you're right. Like she's, I'm kind of ambival- ambivalent about her in most things because she's just that person, and who cares? But, <laughs> uh, but here I like their closeness, and I, yeah. I, I find their relationship interesting. Now the, uh, so <laughs> I have to say the one thing that I did have, I guess, a little bit of trouble with in the story. And it was part of the uh, the Lucy Lane uh, Superwoman thing, was the whole okay. So so the last time we saw her, she was like blown up in her suit. Yes. And so now uh, apparently she blew up, but then like this dude gets killed, and suddenly she can like recycle his life force and 
be alive again and the suit is like part of her skin now so now she's actually a superwoman yeah that was <laughs> that was maybe a little bit of a stretch i had a i had a hard time wrapping my brain around that too because i they they mentioned in there that i guess like her dna has been mutated somehow and so maybe that allows her to have these weird things happening to her because it, it seems like Again, I think the uh, comparisons of the Lucy-Lana stuff is, like, Lana became more of a uh, supernatural, super kind of weird insect queen thing, but then she became normal again. Once, mm-hmm. once that was out of her system, she was fine. Well, with Lucy, she goes from a human who pretends to be Kryptonian to then having something happen to her to where she's not quite human anymore. Right. And so I, I don't, I didn't, I, I went with it. I was like, okay, I'll buy into this. I'll go with this, but I don't totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I am, um, I am curious about, uh, where she goes from here. Cause like, you know, she, she's kind of ready for duty at the end, right? Like she's, she's in the superwoman outfit She's fit for duty, she says, and I'm kind of like, oh, my God, now she actually has these powers, suit or not. I don't know if I like this. Yeah, that was <laughs> actually pretty terrifying for me at the end. I was like, oh, I've seen what she can do. I've seen what she's willing to do. The fact that she is excited to be back, you know, serving her father, that sort of scares me a little bit. So what did you think of this trade, Rebecca? I liked that it was very character-centric, and I think it was throughout a lot of the characters. We got a lot of good Supergirl stuff. We got a lot of good Lana stuff and a, good, a lot of good Lucy stuff especially. And so it was character-centric but in a lot of different perspectives, which I really liked. Um, I got more information into the characters, and I, I liked that a lot. And what was interesting was that you know when we talked to Sterling Gates, he mentioned his film background and how he had – he had been studying that and how he, you know, especially with his independent film, the posthuman project, like I can tell after talking to him about that, that I can see that in his book. Um, Mm -hmm. There, there's this one really cool bunch of panels that go back and forth where, um, where, when the insect queen is born in the hospital and there's like this guy talking on the phone in the morgue and he's like fighting with his girlfriend and it, it goes back and forth between that scene and Kara talking to the doctor. And I was like, oh, this is where his cinematic background is coming into play because I could see that if that was a movie, I could see that going back and forth and how that would play out cinematically. So I really liked seeing that on the page. And uh, there was um, one awesome moment that I just, I like went head over heels for uh, in regards to Supergirl. Um, We didn't really touch on Gangbuster a lot, but Supergirl has this... um, I was actually just going to bring him up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, and I don't know much about Gangbuster other than what we were presented in the story, but I I liked this little interaction where Gangbuster, um, (laughs) he asks her, he says, you ready to get the the crap kicked out of you in order to save the world? And then Supergirl goes, always. Yeah. And uh, that was prob- that's a great look. That that probably like sums up the Supergirl character t- to me. That she she's just like yeah, bring it on. <laughs> so I I just I love that moment so much. Very very true. I I love that moment as well. And that panel is uh, is really well drawn as well. Um, just that look on her face is priceless. 
Um, actually, I wanted to bring up, speaking of uh, his penchant for film, um, I do love the Supergirl, the movie reference where yes. she goes, I'm, <laughs> I don't scare easily. Um, and I was like, yes, I saw that. And I was like, you couldn't resist, could you, Sterling? You could not resist. <laughs> But I did want to bring up Gangbuster because I was thrilled, you know, that there was a Latino superhero all up in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of do want to know more about him. I mean, I don't know if he was created just for this. I don't know if he has a history beyond this, but now I'm definitely going to look him up. Um, Jose Delgado, a.k.a. Gangbuster. Although I was kind of like, does he have to deal with gangs? Like, why does the Latino dude have to deal with gangs? Well, he's, he's busting um, them up. He's busting them up. No, it's true. But I'm like, oh, God, is, does he live in East L.A.? Is he busting up gangs? Um, but no, but I, I, I still I, I love the idea of him. And, and I think that's cool that, like, um, if you're going to create a character like that, that he's somebody that maybe lives around that and makes it a point to stop it. Like, that's that's really cool. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I liked the the trade overall. I mean, I think I've already talked about my tiny problems with it, which is the that butt drawing of Lucy Lane and uh, – the um, the whole thing with the uh, with Lucy Lane's like transformation into the super superwoman, um, I was like, yeah, I don't know, that wasn't really explained terribly well, and you know, I can suspend my disbelief and all that because I kind of want to see where she's going with this, but I feel like that part of it could have been better explained because I'm like, who's this dude that just died to like be recycled? Like, what's in, going on? Innocent bystander. I know, right? Wrong, wrong place, place, wrong, wrong time. time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But I agree with you that I, I love the character work in this. Um, I really do love how Sterling Gates writes her. And I, I love how he presents her conflict between, you know, being human and being Kryptonian um, and, and living on Earth versus living uh, in New Krypton. And all of that, like, he writes her as a very, as conflicted but mature. Like, she never feels like she's throwing a tantrum. She never feels like a child. She just feels like somebody who has conflicting feelings, which we all do. And I love that. Uh, And, yeah, everything just tied together so well thematically, jumping from, from each story that's presented in the trade. It all fits together really well. And I really do want to shout out uh, this artist. Um, there's a Supergirl 50 variant cover in the back of this trade. And the cover is by Joshua Middleton. And I think so far this is my favorite image of Supergirl uh, from the comics. I really love this cover. And um, uh, if any of you, you know, have the trade, like go back and, and look at it or whatever. Look it up online. Um, Supergirl variant cover for issue number 50 by Joshua Middleton. It's really, really cool. I just love the look on her face. I love the the fact that she's trapped but like sort of breaking out at the same time yeah um it's just beautiful so great art great uh story a couple of minor quibbles but definitely a trade that i think y'all should pick up all right well now that we've talked about this trade uh supergirl death in the family uh let's get to our listener feedback we got an email from a listener named Chris Sanginet or Sanginet. Sorry, Chris, if I'm butchering your name, um, <laughs> who responded to our Smallville discussion writing, quote, if you're interested in closure for Kara's storyline, the writers do a Smallville season 11 digital comic and there's a story arc called Argo. And uh, so that's good information to know. Might follow up on that at some point. Uh, and he also says, and glad you want to check out Power Girl. Take a look at World's Finest in the New 52. It tells the adventures of adult Kara from Earth 2. 
So those are all really good recommendations. Uh, I definitely would like to check, uh, even though I, <laughs> the, the later seasons of Smallville, I, I felt were uh, less impressive than <laughs> the uh, f- uh, first, uh, m- my personal opinion, I enjoyed the first five seasons. And season seven was great because of the Supergirl character. But, um, but it would be kind of fun to see where, what they do with her um, uh, after the TV show ended and, and kind of w- where her journey took her. Um, so that's, that's something good to keep open for maybe future episodes of Supergirl Radio. Maybe we'll, we'll dive back into the Smallville version of Kara. Oh, yeah. No, I, and I definitely would love to check that out as well. Um, and speaking of Power Girl, I actually read the um, – there's a new limited series called uh, Harley Quinn and Power Girl. And it's written by uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti and uh, really, really great. So Harley Quinn and Power Girl team up. And they uh, – Power Girl has amnesia and doesn't know who Harley Quinn is. <laughs> so Harley Quinn wants to be a sidekick to a superhero. Um, so she is like, oh, hey, Power Girl, we're totally partners. And because Power Girl doesn't know any better because she has amnesia, she's she like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then gradually realizes that Harley is insane. But, she, you know, the way they write her, she's kind of like the psychopath with a heart of gold. Yeah. Um, so the whole comic is really great. And it's pretty much Power Girl, like, you know, basically reprimanding Harley every five minutes for something she does. <laughs> um, but it, it's a cool look at the character. Um, and it's a good place to start, I guess, because it's a limited series. And you kind of get to see Power Girl in action without having to delve back into previous you know history so um yeah i'd recommend that yeah and issue uh one just came out i think last week so cool it's pretty new um back to feedback we also received a uh, an email from a listener named michael bradley who writes quote i came to supergirl a bit backward first seeing the movie as a kid uh but comics wise i got into the character via the matrix era around the time of death of superman and then followed her into the peter david era then i went back and read up on the character's pre-crisis stories mostly in the silver age with the exception of the new 52 i've followed her adventures ever since um and in regards to the matrix and linda danvers eras of supergirl he writes thanks for not being dismissive of the matrix and linda danvers eras of supergirl despite them not being your favorite uh, for some of us, that is our Supergirl. So even though you won't be focusing as much on that version, I appreciate it won't be run through the ringer either, end quote. And um, yeah, I mean, really, we're not um, – the purpose of this podcast is because, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about the show. And the show deals with Kara. So we're dealing with Kara. Um, I've honestly never read any of the Matrix Supergirl. So it's not a matter of, uh, you know – not liking her as much at all. It's just I we're focusing on Kara because the show will focus on that on that version. But maybe, you know, sometime in the future we might delve into the other versions of the character, you know, when we have some free time and uh between seasons of the show. And we're of course fingers crossed that there will be more than one season of Supergirl. So yeah, I mean definitely not putting any characters through the ringer at all. Yeah, and Michael, if you have some suggestions of Matrix or Linda Danvers stories or um, comics, anything that you would like us to look into, definitely shoot us an email at supergirlradio at gmail.com with those recommendations, and we'll, we'll check them out. And, and the only thing I really have ever known about the Matrix Supergirl was through the death of Superman. So, and, and what I think is really interesting about what Michael brings up is that, you know, 
your Supergirl is your Supergirl. And totally. no, and nobody can take that away from you. And so I, I think about that sometimes with like you know people arguing over who's a better Superman or who's a better Batman, whatever. You know, they're they're all Superman. They're all Batman. They're all Supergirl. So yeah. what what your Supergirl is is your Supergirl, and don't don't let anybody be dismissive <laughs> of it. You know, I, I you nope. know. I love Man of Steel, and even though a lot of people don't, but I like that version of Superman. So you just kind of have to, you know, love what you love. And so I think it's awesome that there is a, a contingent of people who do love The Matrix and Linda Danvers' eras of Supergirl, and uh, maybe we'll look into them in the future. Definitely. Preach, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Well, um, our last email comes from a listener named Stephen Wilson, who writes, quote, when the first and second trailers for Supergirl came out, I was simply on cloud nine, and I thought CBS had a winner. But then people started to leave some mean comments about them. Uh, then when the pilot was leaked, I thought this could be a disaster for the series. I do not support illegal downloads, but I know many people have seen it now. Thankfully, loads of people have given it very positive feedback, but some have not. Some of the comments left by people were very crude, hurtful, and uncalled for. Making a TV pilot is difficult, but you can't seem to please everyone. And uh, he goes on to say, um, I hope the Supergirl series will not be ruined by the leaking of the pilot. And he asks, do you believe Supergirl can come back from this and get the viewers it deserves this fall? Also, I found out last night that it was given a 13-episode run on CBS. If the first few do well, will it get a full 22-episode order? So thanks for writing Oof. in, Stephen. So there's a lot to unpack here, Teresa. Definitely. Um, so much. He mentions not being able to please everybody, and that is very true. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think you just kind of have to go for and I, I think – Berlanti and Ali Adler and Jeff Johns and all those people, I think they would just tell you focus on making the product something you would want to watch and something that you feel proud of. And so I think that's what they've done. Yeah. No, and, and you know, you can't please everyone. And I think more and more, like, that's, that's not important anymore the way it used to be. Um, we're kind of living at a time when people are catering to niches, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, rating ratings wise, like, you know, the Flash and Arrow are not like doing, you know, gangbuster business and um, but they have their loyal fans. You know right. what I mean? And, you know, yes, CBS is a bigger network and they kind of generally have a, a stronger pull. And so they kind of expect a little bit of a higher performance from Supergirl. But I think that'll happen if, um, you know, because... <laughs> Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that, you know, obviously we all kind of travel in the geek circles, you know, so like, you know, we th we've heard about the pilot leaking and we assume everybody knows that the pilot leaked. Um, and yes, it was in all the trades and in all the entertainment stuff. But do you know how many people there are in the country who watch CBS who don't give a crap about what's happening on the Internet as far as like the industry or like, you know, like – I feel like those people are going to watch Supergirl and and form an opinion on it when it airs. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think I think we are actually a small we're a small minority. Yeah, I think, I think the general population doesn't. They're not know paying that attention happens. to yeah. leaks. Like they yeah. don't. You know, like and and granted, like you know, I'm, we're talking about millions of people have probably downloaded it and whatever. I'm not saying it's like small numbers, but there's an even greater number of people who aren't even paying attention to this business. Who like. When new shows start in the fall, they're like, oh, let's see what's on. <laughs> let's see what's going this year. Let's, you know, whatever. And they'll figure it out then. Um, so I wouldn't be too worried about what the leak will do to, 
you know, to Supergirl. Because I feel like people will find her, especially since she's on CBS. Like, she's on a major network, whereas, like, The Flash and Arrow might have had to work a little harder to find an audience. CBS has, you know, they have an audience. It's whether or not they'll continue to tune into the show. I feel like the the millions of people who watch CBS, they'll tune into Supergirl and, and see what's up. And that's an even greater, you know, cross-section of people that Supergirl will have at at its disposal. Yeah, and remember that The Flash leaked, too. And The yeah. Flash has, uh, a, like you said, a, a, a loyal audience and did really well this season. So it's all in the, the writing and, more importantly, the marketing. If mm-hmm. CBS is already <laughs> starting to put commercials, you know, during my soaps, yeah. they're, they're obviously kind of kind of working in their marketing uh, very early. Very early. And <laughs> very I, early. Um, one of the things that I think about when I think of TV marketing, I was really impressed with the way Once Upon a Time launched back in the day, a couple of years ago. Um, ABC did such a good job. Like, it was, I mean, it had people interested. I know I, you know, because it was written by the, some of the same writers from Lost, which I'm a big fan of, and so I was going to check it out. And I also love Disney stuff, and so I, I was really interested in it. But the marketing for that, when it, right before it, aired the the spots they did the commercials were really smart in the way they played on the Mm -hmm. the paralleling of the characters and everything and it was it was in your face all the time watch once upon a time like those spots were continuous and so i think if cbs does a really really great job of marketing the show and getting the images of things out there and you know getting that image of supergirl out there getting melissa benoist on billboards and buses Mm -hmm. and things like that I think they're going to be fine because it really marketing does wonders for a TV show. It really does. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the benefit of being on a network like CBS is that Supergirl has more access to that. Yes. You know, like CBS has more money. They have more ability to pump, you know, resources into marketing that show. So, yeah, no, I, I'm not worried. Um, as far as uh, the... 13, uh, you know, 13 episodes, um, versus, you know, nine versus 13 versus 22. Um, I mean, you got to remember, like, for example, Agent Carter had eight episodes and they got renewed for season two. So many shows now have 13 episodes. I think, I mean, I don't know how they're designing their seasons for, for this particular show, but just know that 13 episodes does not mean anything anymore. And yes, it's CBS and they're kind of more of a, a, you know, standard old school mainstream network but um with a show like this that's kind of geared toward a younger more modern audience you know they might be structuring it the way a lot of shows are structured you know for that audience like the you know a lot of netflix shows a lot of um cable shows uh and various other things like you know for some episode for some shows 13 episodes is standard so whether or not they're even designing 22 episode seasons yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned just yet about that either because um, the 22 episode thing is not necessarily the hard and fast rule anymore. Yeah, I, I would just like to know from CBS, like to hear them say, yes, we are doing this as a 13 episode series. That would, yeah. that would make me feel a lot better <laughs> if, if that if that was their plan. I, you know, I wish they would say that just because, you know, I don't want Supergirl to get caught if, you know, say the ratings aren't great, which hopefully is not the case, but just hypothetically, if the ratings aren't great and they get to episode 10 and they haven't wrapped anything up, you know, that and then they get canceled at episode 13, that that would be 
unfortunate. So yeah. I, I think um, what 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 I think is the best uh, best scenario that we could get is if they don't say, yeah, we're doing this as 13 episodes and then it defaults to the old school 22 episode format is that the first 13 episodes have great ratings. They're um, they're consistent and the audience is there, then if that is if that is the case, they will order a back nine, and yeah. and they'll they'll announce that, and the the episodes will continue. So I think that's the best case scenario. But you're right, Teresa. I mean, nowadays, thirteen episodes um, is actually usually better for a TV series. A lot yeah. of a lot of the shows that are structured with thirteen episodes, you know, I think about the closer. The, mm-hmm. I I don't think I've ever seen a bad episode of that show because it was so tight, like yes. all the writing was so tight and they were able to, you know, there was no real filler. They could just focus on those 13 episodes and make those the best 13 episodes they could. And so I actually really do like that format because you can actually get a much better show that way. So I just would think that if CBS was going to make it a 13 episode series that they would go ahead and say that. So, yeah, but, but I hope that the ratings are great and that we'll get a back nine uh, episode order if that old standard uh, prevails. Yeah. So let us know, CBS. Let Please. us know. Tell us up front so we don't get worried <laughs> about it. <laughs> but but I, I think they're going to be okay if they uh, market it well and we all watch. Yeah. So um, thank you, everybody, who wrote in uh, <coughs> with those emails. And if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've got some time uh, and you like what you hear, um, definitely give us a rating and write a review if you can. We are also part of the DC TV podcast circle. So if you like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, subscribe to our DC TV podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. Uh, and you can find me uh, always over at the Mary Sue. Uh, that's themarysue.com, uh, where I'm an assistant editor there. And uh, for my personal stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at Teresa Giacino. Uh, my blog is the Teresa Giacino Experience. And you can find me at Facebook uh, at Facebook.com slash Teresa Giacino Experience. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid. That's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. And watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Pride. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And I'm hoping to shoot some video when I go to Walker Stalker Con in Orlando this weekend. So uh, if, oh, any- yay, fun. If, if anybody's uh, going to be down in Orlando at that convention, come find me because I will be there. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, Till next time, I'm still Teresa Giacino. And I'm still Rebecca Johnson. Note to self, work on your secret ID. You don't want it to get embarrassing. Oh,